1: Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Dave O'Sullivan, an experienced physiotherapist who has worked in both league and union and draws on his experiences Uh, in two world cups again both in league and union most uh, recently the 2019 world cup with england Uh, obviously tons that we can take from that but he also talks a lot about injury uh, prevention and uh, return to play so give it a listen and let us know what you think hi dave welcome to rugby renegade podcast great to have you on Uh, let's start by you telling us a little bit about your background how you got into physiotherapy and and who are the the teams and and sports and things you work in and with
0: yeah, thanks, Jamie. Uh, great to be here. Um, yeah, I I started in physios, was as uh, as most physios uh, seen the physio on the football pitch and gone, oh, that looks pretty good. I'd I'd love to, to try that. Um, so um, decided in in kind of um, the the last couple of years of school that I, I was going to be a physio. Um, wasn't smart enough to to get straight into to physio in Ireland. So I had to go up to Carlo, do two years in physiology and health science. And then I, I went over to Huddersfield in the UK to study. Um, and then um, that's kind of where, where my career in sport, I suppose, started really. Um, I'd done a placement with Leeds Rhinos, um, unofficially in a placement with Bradford Bulls, rugby League, um, and then ended up getting a job with uh, Leeds Rhinos and slash kind of Yorkshire Carnegie or Leeds Carnegie, you do call it at the time uh worked with them for about uh four years and then went back to Ireland to work with Munster Rugby uh for a year um at the time my my wife now my my girlfriend at the time and Ava my daughter who was two at the time they stayed back in Huddersfield so it was kind of they um it was kind of a short term um thing really unfortunately but so I moved back to Huddersfield um where where I was living at the time or she was living and uh Went, took up their head of uh, physio role, uh, done that for about three years and then um, just kind of had enough of, of, I suppose, the day-to-day professional sport side of it. Um, so then kind of went a lot on the online route, uh, started mentoring physios alongside building my private practice up and then uh, got involved with England Rugby League um, in 2017 uh, for their Rugby League World Cup. And then I've been very fortunate to to get involved with the Inger Rugby Union uh, in 2019, and been fortunate to to be out in Japan with them for uh, for their World Cup as well. So uh, that's kind of my my journey uh, to date.
1: Yeah, cool. Well, ton, tons of experience. And we'll try and pull on on all of that as we go through the podcast. And and you you spoke about the World Cup, and it's one of the questions. So I'm gonna jump jump down to it now. Um, Obviously, it's a, a particular challenge in a World Cup because of the kind of the high volume of of playing uh, in a short period of time. How how do you kind of manage the squad and how do you overcome those sort of issues?
0: Yeah, I think um, yeah, there they were there were probably two very different World Cups um, in terms of setups. So, so the in are you, will we talk about rugby union? Uh, talk about talk about both. Yeah, like, yeah, be interested to hear your experience uh, in both. Yeah, so uh, the rugby league, it's a it's a bit of a smaller squad, um, so um, a lot less staff. So it's um, yeah, it's it's kind of the same principles of like recovery is very very important. Rain um, on the coaches in terms of training loads and, and stuff like that. I, I think that that's pretty similar in ball codes. Um, whereas I think in the rugby union, we were very, very lucky uh, with England. You know, we we had, we had everything we needed. We had, we had a really good medical uh, team and the medical in essence, C worked really well together um, in terms of recovery and what they were doing in the gym, pre-ab, you know, what we were doing in, in the physio room. I think everything complemented everything, which I, I think is really important um, in, in Japan. So um, yeah, I, th- I think in Japan it was, uh, as I said, we. We we're very, very fortunate to, to have, have a lot of good stuff, and, and uh, the logistics team helped us out a lot as well. in you know, in getting like really good hotels with good recovery facilities and stuff like that. So I'd, I'd like to think the players were well looked after um, in Japan and, and in, in Australia with the rugby league. Probably didn't have as much resources available to us, but um, you know, but we still done our best with them in terms of massage, mobility, uh, doing a bit of breathing with them to, to desensitize the respiratory system. Various other sort of bits, and again, with with that as well, I've been very fortunate to to have a good relationship with the the SNC on that side, and I, I think that's really important that that uh, the medical and SNC work well together.
1: Yeah, definitely, we we'll, we'll, might touch on that a bit later on. Now, obviously, talking about that that team environment and the challenges of, of working with uh, athletes in a team environment, how how do you find that differs to obviously you've got your own clinic? How do you balance? Or, or what's the difference, I guess, between clinic and, and team environment?
0: Yeah, I think it's probably the uh, the personalities are a little bit different in rugby. Um, I think you have to, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to uh, take some shit and give some shit. Yeah. Um, you know and, and the banter of rugby you know and then to be honest it's something that I, I love um i've never played rugby i was always playing Gaelic football and, and hurling at home and i only got in I, you know i got into rugby just through through uh placements and stuff but i love it uh, i love the the um the, the camaraderie and and the, the kind of the personalities that you see you, you've got chalk and cheese personalities there but it's uh it's a pretty intimidating environment to go into initially but you know once you get to know the lads and and stuff like that then um you know, you uh, you, you kind of you sleep with one eye open, or you you're, you're treating with with one eye looking behind you in case what what's coming behind you and stuff. But um, but I think once you can get over that, um, you know, the the majority of the lads they're they good banter and they they do want to They're they're highly motivated athletes, which which I think helps. Um, and probably to go back and answer the question, I think sometimes you have to hold them back um you know from from going too quickly whereas in private practice maybe you're trying to push somebody on and and try to get them to to crack on a little bit whereas usually with rugby lads it's like they want to do too much too quickly rather than the the opposite in private practice yeah
1: cool now i guess this this question you can kind of pull on experiences from clinic and team environment as well And it's um how, how do you deal with exercise adherence once once you've kind of given athletes you know some correctives or whatever to do how do you how do you try and make sure they adhere to that when they're if it's a clinic environment when they go off home or a player where they you know onto other things as you know that the team environment is quite fast paced and you might not get a lot of hands on time with them. How, how do you kind of try and keep them accountable
0: yeah so I like I like to um, the I like to try to get the biggest bang for a buck so what I'll usually do is before training I'll, I'll literally get them in um, I know um, like like Bob Stewart you I don't know if you've come across him he's, yeah. he's one of or- most experienced rugby physios um you know it, it's it's great to work with him day in day out in camp and stuff and and he's one that's very much you know he wants the players to to to, to take responsibility and stuff like that and, and i think that's really good um i'm probably the other side of it where i'll go right i'll fucking want you in here at at this time um to to do this this and this so i i probably try to control the players um a little bit um, to, to answer your question, which I don't think is uh, the only way to, and do I don't think it's the best way, but that's just the way I've I've done it. Whereas as I said Bob, who's who's a world class physio, does does the complete opposite. So there's there's no right or wrong. Is, is probably the point I'm trying to make. But I'm very much right in here at 20 minutes before the session. I want you to do this, this, and this for me. And if the player doesn't come in, then I, I tend to give him a bit of shit about it, or you know, or, or kind of pull him up on it a bit. Um, and and I I find that's the best way is... Is get them, you know, use that pre-training time to to get everything and, and use it as a graded exposure to to get everything ready for for what it's about to um, to undergo in, in training. So that's usually um, the the most beneficial time is is pre-training, and then obviously in the evenings, you know, if, if you want to get a little bit more load into it, then then you know we do that around our gyms. Yeah, and on at the equal level, I think that's where it kind of goes into. What they do in the gym, it needs to really reinforce what you're trying to do with them. Because if you're just trying to do something with them, you know that's going completely against what they're doing in the gym. Then you know you're you're just trying to shovel you know shit up a hill, basically, so to speak. So it's um, for me, it, it it all goes back to what the S&C are doing, what the physios are doing. You know, are we all singing from the same hymn sheet and, and trying to get to the player the player to the same place? And I think if you can get that, then. They're, they're getting a lot of good good stimulus throughout the day. So they might get it with me pre-training, the S&C and the warmup are, you know, they're reinforcing the same good stuff that that we're trying to do with the player. And then when they get into the gym after the session, you know, like we, we talk a lot about foot pressures and, and stuff like that, you know, are they reinforcing good movement in the gym? Are they decelerating well on the field? So it kind of, it, it's not one specific thing. It, it's kind of a, a whole combination of things that I, I think is really important. To, to help the player get get uh, resilience and, and durability.
1: Yeah, that's that's great stuff, and like, it, it keeps coming up. And it's that relationship between you know yourselves, the medical team, and and the SNC team. Um, over the years, in different environments, I'm sure it's been different. What I guess what types of arrangements have you seen, and, and what's your kind of what would you think would be the best way of, of building that relationship between SNC and medical?
0: Yeah, I think. Um, I, I think the, the the first thing is i suppose the the philosophies of you know what what you're trying to achieve um i think it's important to understand and i think if i'm being honest that I, I i think it's probably more physio uh ego uh sometimes on one regard and then other times you, you might have an SNC ego problem but i think it usually it's um, any problems I have seen is where us as physios, we try to get probably a little bit too traditional. Um, whereas then the S&C would probably go, oh, oh, just about strength, strength, strength. So I think you're kind of getting this hybrid of, of therapists and hybrid of S&C now that work well together where S&C are starting to appreciate movement a little bit more and the importance of moving well rather than just putting weight on the bar. And and physio again are appreciating more now about it's not just about isolating muscles; it's actually about um, getting the athlete moving well and, and working smarter, not harder. Because if they move well in the gym and they move well on the field, then I'm going to be a lot quieter in the evenings, um you know, rather than um, them moving like crap in the gym, crap on the field. And then I'm I'm ultimately trying to sort it out in in the evenings if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: definitely. No, uh, I th- I think that is the the general thing we it's difficult because they physio and sNC go through completely different educational processes. And then there's a lot of miscommunication, like, you know, different terminology and things like that. But, but like you said, there's more, and more people who are kind of that hybrid, that hybrid between the two that are kind of helping bridge that gap and just, you know, like I said, good environments where people can work
0: together. Well, so I think you're right there. Uh, no, and yeah. I is
1: a, a question we get, yeah. Oh, can uh,
0: Jamie as well? Um, like I, I'm a big believer as well on, on on lifting heavy and and you know putting some some stuff on the bar and I think the the one thing that really surprised me in in working with the rugby union this year was how much the players were lifting, but the the big thing was with the SNC is that they made sure the players lifted well. Yeah. So I've got no issues with players lifting heavy once once they lift well and you know and I think that's really refreshing to see as well as you know just because you you've got SNC guys who are into movement. You, you can still have both where you can still get them strong but they just they move well under under high loads I, I think that's really really important and I think that does us physios a massive favour if you've got an S&C like that I, th- I think that's invaluable yeah definitely
1: I, th- I think you're you're right you- physios like to see an S&C who, who understands that the players need to move well as well as having that load but then S&Cs like to see a physio who who appreciates the, the load whether it's in the gym or, or out on the pitch as well so that's a really good point. Uh, now this next question we ask all the guests on the podcast and it's, it's always interesting we get a, a physio's kind of perspective on it and it's what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning?
0: Yeah Um yeah, good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just thinking I give some players some shit sometimes for, for doing some stuff. Um, but I, I think a lot of that as well can be kind of um, almost they get brainwashed into into the environments that they're in. So um, I, I think a lot of it needs to be what feels good for you. And, you know, I I don't have all the answers by any means, but I think the a lot of players, they'll just kind of accept sake of doing it whereas actually if they do something and it, it doesn't make them feel good or it, it you know it, it gives you a tight back or it gives you a tight hamstring then you know that's that's your brain telling you something now I'm not saying it just because you get you know something feels tired or fatigued you know that that's fine as well but I think it's learning to see what works well for you um, and, and that's something I, I encourage all players to do is you know it's not just about doing you know three sets of six of this on, on a certain day there's going to be some days when you don't sleep well or you wake up and you feel a little bit more tight that's where you have to do six sets of it or seven sets of it and it's not about you know just following three sets of six or three sets of ten of of pre-ab or or movement prep or whatever we're calling it it's about you getting your body in in the right right, um state and and you feeling in the right state to to ultimately get ready to to train and, and go out there and perform and i think as i said i think a lot of um athletes they just kind of get up they rock up and they think okay it's it's um you know i, I can just go out there today and, and do what i always do whereas it's when that accumulative load kicks in and it's when the kind of what i call non-physical stressors where um you know lifestyle stuff gets in the way that might be a contract that might be a lack of sleep it might be a new baby that's when these things kind of bite you in the in the ass really so it's having an awareness of what what makes you feel good, how you, you like to feel before you get out into training and then kind of adapting your, your movement prep to that. And as I said, one day it might take a few, few minutes, another day you might need to take 15, 20 minutes to get ready to train. Yeah,
1: cool. Great advice. Uh, you've talked about movement prep there. Um, what's what's your opinion on or how much do you value movement screening? Um especially when you're working with large squads and and i guess what's your approach to it like if if you could only look at at three things what would what would they be
0: yeah um it's funny actually i've I've just released um i I didn't even tell us i've just released um, a book i haven't even advertised yet to be honest but it's on amazon it's called injury prevention um i can't remember the the book about that um i can't remember (laughs) What I call it, injury prevention for team sports, um, and and I cover preseason screening. And that actually, it's, it's funny why you, you just mentioned that. Um, but what I cover in the book is I um, is I screen um, about twenty five athletes in about two hours. So the biggest mistake I've made, and I see is is we spend like 40-45 minutes with athletes. We do all these intricate measurements um and then we put all that data in a filing cabinet we never use it again so my kind of approach with with movement screening is right if i could get three or four movements from a physio point of view that i can use when an athlete has has um, an injury later on in the season and that's going to be really useful data to have a look at so something as simple as, as a knee to wall exercise for ankle mobility you know there is some research on that on, on injury prediction and, and how we land and stuff like that so so I think that's a useful test and then obviously you've got your daily monitoring scores you can use that with. Um, something like a, a sit and reach or, or or a toe touch test or something like that and a doctor squeeze they're, they're useful things that can be replicated throughout the season. Um, then I would, I'd be looking at my next question then is right what's the athlete going to do in pre-season so a big mistake that I talk about in the book is actually um, preparing your screen for preseason. Whereas a lot of people, I think, they look at the demands of rugby and they go, "Right, I'm going to do my preseason screening for rugby." Whereas actually, in preseason training in rugby, you do anything but rugby. Really, you do strongman stuff, you do crazy, you know, stuff. You, you do lifts that you probably don't do a whole lot in season. So for me, it's right. What three or four key lifts are you going to be doing a lot of in the gym? And then I'd almost do a body weight version of them and then see, right, have you got the actual mobility to get into these positions? Can you actually do these positions without increasing load? And can you manage your, your base of support? Um, so that's that's another thing that I, I, um, I would do as well. So I'd, kinda, I'd use maybe one or two. If I pick three, I'd probably do the adductor squeeze, the, the knee to wall, and I'd probably look at them, um, maybe do a squat a bodyweight squat or, or you know deadlift or, or something like that to, just to see how, they, how they're moving generally yeah of
1: course cool. yeah so I, I like that kind of bang for your buck and things that that um can cover a few different um outcomes but, but also like you said can consider what you're screening them for uh at the stage of the season that's that's interesting uh okay next question um losing my way a little bit because i'm jumping around uh so yeah a lot a lot of our athletes uh, rugby renegade uh, amateur rugby players uh, what would your obviously then they, they don't have as as good access to you know medical care as, as professionals um so what would your advice be around kind of initial uh, acute injury management um
0: yeah i think the you know do, do the basics well um you know I am. I know the evidence is a bit sketchy. I'm a big believer um, in ice. So again, like if you've got an ankle injury, get it in a basin of water, I prefer that, to to an ice pack. So just get a basin of ice cold water, put some ice in, in the water, and keep your um, keep your your ankle covered. So the immersion of the water, I think, is 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 probably almost as beneficial as, as the the temperature. Um, obviously, if it's not a, an ankle, then you know um, ice packs and stuff will do um, initially. And then I think the biggest thing is you need to try to get moving as as quickly as you you can. Um, So presuming that there's no serious pathology there, um, it's trying to get load into the tissues in a a safe, progressive manner. So um, again, we we know from research with motor adaptations that your body initially, when you have pain or you have an injury, it's going to try to avoid loading the area. And the problem with that is then when the pain goes, is sometimes your brain doesn't necessarily go back to the way that it did before the injury, that it, it continues to overload or uh, avoid load in that area. Uh, or said another way, overload a different part of your body, which is why then, you know, maybe one, two, three months down the line, you pick up a soft tissue injury or something like that. Um, or certainly that's kind of that's kind of my my interpretation of, of the literature. But um, I think it's important that we, we show your brain that it's safe to, to put load through those, those areas as safely as possible in, in that graded exposure manner. Um, and, again, I'm a big believer in, in kind of using whole body movements rather than just trying to isolate um, muscles. Because, again, it's, it's an, an ankle injury is a brain injury, you know, and, and we really have to think of it like that, where if you roll your ankle, the first thing you do is you start limping where you put your weight on the outside of your foot. You avoid loading your big toe because when you press through your big toe, that's going to engage your peroneals, which is going to put stress through the ATFL that you've probably rolled. So again, it's it's giving your brain back the ability to push well through your toe, because that's gonna be very important for you when you go back out there and you have to sprint or you have to accelerate. Um, what we don't want is your brain still avoiding really pushing off your big toe when it when it needs to. So I think things like that are really important just to get the load back. And I keep it very simple. I just, I put people in a position where you've got, your brain has no choice but to tolerate that load. Um, but I think you need to do that at at the right stages. So. Um, you know, one of the big things that, that I'm a big believer in is um, is getting everything doing its job. So things like you know, sit to stand, even when you're getting up off a chair, a lot I see a lot of athletes they push through their heels or they push through their toes when they squat. Whereas I think a big thing that um, that we need to do is, is actually push through our midfoot. So when you get up from a chair, I, I cue a lot of athletes to squash an orange. So when you squash an orange through your midfoot, kind of where your laces start all the way down to towards your toes what you do is you plantar the flex the, the foot. So you're getting your gastro, your hamstring, your quad and your glute working well. Whereas when you push through your heels on the way up from a squat, you're actually, you're, you're generating a dorsiflexion moment at the ankle, which is actually taking your gastro and your, your hamstrings off, um, off tension, so to speak. Um, you know, if you really exaggerated it. So that's going to affect how your knee works, which is going to affect how your hip works. So some simple cues like that, where you push through the, the, the midfoot, I think it gets all of the muscles working together and, and you know, it, it starts to reassure your brain that it's, um, it's safe. Stuff like that. Um, and, yeah, and I think, you know, pain it's, pain is useful, but uh, sometimes it, it can hang around a little bit longer than, um, than it needs to as well. So it's not always the best indicator of, of, um, of true damage it's swelling and, and stuff like that. Although that can overreact as well, then you know you, you'll get a good gauge of, of kind of where your body and your brain is thinking about this injury in terms of how quick that stuff tends to uh, tends to disappear.
1: Yeah, some some great advice. I think I think there's a lot of research, or there is some research coming out about about the kind of pain response that we still don't quite understand. Um, so, I guess what would be following on from what you're saying, how how do you deal with players when you're coming back? You know, those first initial running sessions where they're going to experience some pain how, how do you deal with that
0: yeah great question so like my my approach would be i ideally i I'd try to get the player into a situation where um every progression we wouldn't have pain so i try to keep them um like at a certain level until we can tolerate that load and then progress into the next level so for instance, um, I don't and again this is this is just me, it's not this isn't the only way to do it, but um, I'm I'm not a I'm a big fan of, of getting players to go through a lot of progress you know, if we can hop on one leg and we can can, you know, hop and stick and, and we can hop on one leg over ten meters and then we can increase the speed of those hops, then you're putting a lot of load through that leg before you've actually run. So then the first time we, we, we run, you've actually tolerated a little bit more load through the tissues, and a little bit more rate of force development than you probably would have with your, your jogging. So I kind of I super maximally load the tissues in, in a certain way so that, that we never get to, to that point. But I think um, to kind of go back and, and answer that question, I think you're gonna know yourself um, if 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 it's a sensation, if it's a little bit unpleasant, versus it's a sharp shooting pain, and it's like it's taking your breath away, and it's, it's telling you to stop, then I think I think you need to to listen to that. So I think it's um, I think it's trusting your gut as well a lot. Um, and you know I'm, I am a big believer in in kind of um, listening to the player and and, and kind of gauging with with them, you know, what they're kind of say, saying and what I'm seeing. Um, and I think usually you, you'll be able to kind of correlate the two pretty well if, if that kind of answers the question, which I don't think it did.
1: No, no it d- definitely does, definitely does. I think um, you just, I guess you need to be aware that there is going to be some sort of sensation, like I say, sensation, not necessarily pain. And sometimes the players will, will kind of refer that as pain or or communicate that as pain. Um, but I, I like what you said about having the progressions there because, like you say, you're, you're almost reinforcing the the motor patterns without loading too heavily um but you're also preparing them for the next step you know it's it's kind of a a, a double whammy um but um I, I guess i guess it's my next question would be like you know injuries are a pretty horrible thing for players because you know the last thing we'll be doing is more training they they they're there to play um how do you kind of deal with the kind of psychological side of things that are trying to keep players motivated especially with long-term injuries i guess
0: yeah, re- really good question. It, it's hard. Um, I think that's probably where where the the relationship with the player becomes pretty important. And I think you you need to appreciate as a therapist or an SNC, we need to appreciate kind of that players have up and down days. They you know some days they're good, some days it, it gets to them. Um, and you kind of you know when to push them and push the buttons. And you know when to back off a little bit. Um, so i I think that's really important in in terms of trying to understand and and, you know even it it goes goes back i'm just thinking in japan and stuff like where the snc and the physios you know someone might tip you up that the player said something in the gym that day or or something's happened or at home and you know they've had bad news or whatever you know just just as an example not saying it happened but um and and kind of being able to adapt your, your program from that um now how I overcome a lot of it and what I think helps is that your rehab and your gym sessions, that what makes players feel like players is it goes back to them feeling like they've worked hard. Um, so, you know, I'll joke, we used to joke a little bit about, you know, and, and a few players have said to me that my rehab sessions will be harder than, than some of the, the sessions they would have done in the gym and stuff like, stuff like that. So, again, we, we make the, the rehab challenging and, and make them feel like they've worked and, and make it tough and stimulate their nervous system. So it keeps them completely engaged in the program. I think there's nothing worse than if you're having a shit day and, and you go in and, you know, I'm giving you three sets of ten of clamshells or glute bridges. It, it just it's not going to stimulate you enough, whereas you almost want to get into the session. And, again, that kind of goes back to my point of giving your, your brain no option but to tolerate the load, where... Your focus and attention has to come onto that drill, otherwise you're not going to be successful with it. Um, and that's kind of the the art of the rehab exercise, so to speak. Um, so I think it's I think you can overcome a lot of it by by get just getting the the basic, you know, adrenaline and, and getting the the endorphins hitting of, of doing doing a hard session. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes they can kind of come out the other end of that and feel like they've worked and feel happy. And and it, it goes it goes back as back as well today well, I'm just thinking back to when players were, came in in a shit mood and then they left in a good mood a lot of that is kind of giving them stuff that they can be successful with as well so you know that they've done something today that they couldn't do yesterday but giving them you know, like just small goals to, to hit and, and the player being kind of clear on where they are in the rehab process as well I think that's very important as well that they're clear on what they need to do in order to progress to the next level and the next level
1: yeah that's cool. No. Great advice. Thanks for that. Uh, and now let's just pull a bit, um, kind of your personal experience, just chat about the the Japan World Cup. Obviously, you know, amazing event to be part of. And also, yeah, arguably the best England performance ever. Um, and then obviously disappointment, losing to what was a very good South African side. What, what What's your overall sort of feeling from the tournament?
0: Yeah, it's just, obviously you're... you're... Probably gutted. i gutted for the players um, that you know that that we didn't. Uh, we weren't able to to, um, to put the performance in in the final because you know I've seen how hard they all worked. Um, it was it was very very similar to the 2017 World Cup where as a group I think that was the thing that was special was was how how close a group we were, um, staff and players and how everyone worked together. There was no egos. It was just everyone working hard, working towards the same goal, and and that that's quite a special feeling when you get that in sport. And I don't I don't think you get that in club rugby um, as much because it's just it's not sustainable. I think to to be that focused and that that in tune for such a long period. Whereas obviously in a in a World Cup, it's like you know it's six or eight weeks, and, and then obviously the, the pre thing. So it's kind of you know you can you can kind of do that for for that period of time. And that was similar in the in the World Cup in in Australia as well as. The, the group of players and the staff, we had a special bond and, and everyone was was just working and, and moving in the same direction. And when you when you kind of get that, you know, you spent your living with, with these people for for eight weeks nonstop, you were, well, it was a lot longer than that, you know, with the pre workout camp camps down in London and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I don't think there was ever a day where you're like, fucking you know, hell, this is... This is um this is is crap. It was like, right, yeah, you have your ups and downs, obviously you miss your kids and stuff, but everyone was working, uh working well together. And I think that's the most disappointing thing for me, is that we couldn't finish it off for the bond of of, of the the group that we had. I know obviously it's it's an international team, and they're representing their families and their the country and stuff like that, but it, internal in the group, um, you know, a lot of people take the piss I'm Irish, um, you know, there's loads of staff. From various other countries as well, uh, I, I've sought my soul to uh, to the Queen. That's that's what, I, what <laughs> it's telling me. Um, but uh, but you know, it, for me, it's was, it was just the group. That it, it was a special group, um, and it, and it's all about the group. You know what I mean? It, it's not oh, I'm Irish. You know that's that's England or anything like that. It, it's the group of players and 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 the staff that you get to work with. It's it's people at the end of the day. You know if that if that kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah, definitely, and and I'm sure it was a. A great experience, yeah. I know, obviously, Bob Stewart's Scottish. Uh, Joe yeah. Lewis is Welsh, so yeah, t- tons of yeah, tons exactly. of uh, tons of traitors. No, all good. Um, and I guess th- this would be interesting to hear from you. Have, we've kind of talked about relationships between physios and S and C, and and um, uh, what um, what constitutes a good S and C, I suppose. And what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach?
0: Yeah, uh, great question. Really, I think. I think they, I think not to fall in love, not to try to be a physio, um, I think is is probably the first thing I'm going to say. Where they they either fall into that trap of, of trying to be a physio and forget about getting that least strong, um, and then I would say also don't try to to be a kind of a meathead s where it's just like wait wait wait. I think it, it's it's trying to get something in the middle of that where you appreciate. Movement, but you appreciate the fundamentals that you're taught in the uni and, and, try and really try to get the balance of that. Um, I think you need to get really good with your cues, um, and that's the same for physios. I, I, to be fair, i probably give this advice to, to everyone, uh, physio and, and SNC um, It's just obviously physio, I would say, don't go too traditional. Um, but I think cues, um, getting really good at cueing athletes and, and being able to see stuff and, and change how athletes are moving with your words, I think is a really powerful skill to have. Um, and, and keeping it simple where you're not over either. either um, I think pre- appreciating deceleration I think getting comfortable coaching deceleration and, and looking at deceleration I think is really really important um, and I think it's it's probably one of the most undervalued uh, skills that an S&C has in terms of preventing injuries and I think it's a big cause of of um, of issues and niggles and, and all silly injuries as I like to call them so I get really comfortable with that stuff as well rather than just um just being all about sprinting and and, um, and and lifting as much weight as you can, it's actually the, the ability to decelerate your body weight and, and change direction, I think, um, is critical. Okay, so on, on
1: that, what, what do you look for in deceleration in your players?
0: Yeah, so like for me, deceleration, it all comes down to, to having your body weight in a good position for the next step. So again, I, I like players to accel and then to decel into a split squat position. Now, what I'm looking for there is obviously the, and for your your listeners, your your rugby players, that that position that you're going to get into if you're about to hit a rugby bag, you naturally get into that position anyway, don't you? So when you when you go to hit a rugby bag, you know the way you dip your hips and you get your weight on your midfoot so you get ready to drive through the bag. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a very similar position to what I want you to be able to get into. Um, when you decelerate because when you're in that position, if you imagine you get into that position but don't drive through, you're in a very your your body feels strong. And then but not only don't that, when you finish in that position, you then have a, you've got what I call movement options where you can you can accelerate forward through the bag. <clears throat> so you can sidestep or you can twist and and go backwards or you could even backpedal if you needed to. So the the step that you get into in deceleration, you you put your body in a good position where you've got movement options for the next step because it's it's always about the next step. And for me, I just keep deceleration simple. It's the ability to put your body in a position that's um, efficient for then being successful for the next step. So I'm a big fan of just doing some axial decels and then being able to stick that position. And then it's usually when it's... When you stay in that position, that's where the learning happens. So, a lot of athletes, when I do drills, when I the start, they, they kind of they stick it and then they get out of it straight away. Whereas I'm actually, I can't even see if it was a good position because it's happened so fast. So, I'm like, right, hold that position for me. And then I'll ask them the question, right, are you in a good position to sidestep, to rotate, to pivot, to axel, to decel, or to, to go backwards? And what they'll, what they'll have to do then is they'll have to think about it. And then they'll naturally shift their body weight ever so slightly to then feel like they're in a good position to do that. So that's where the learning occurs then, where they can actually go, right, this is what it should feel like to get into this position. And then usually after two or three reps, they'll they'll pick that up quite quickly then. Because deceleration and being, um, you know, getting into good positions, it's, it's all about having that that sensory awareness of what it feels like. Um, so I think that's important as well when they do the drills is, is to actually stick the position and then ask yourself the question: Am I in a good position here? Am I in a good position to hit a bag? Am I in a good position to to sidestep? Am I in a good position to reaccelerate or, or twist and turn? If if that kind of makes sense, it's kind of hard to, to describe it over the over a, a podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I really like that, and I know working with Bob Shoot many years ago. I, I could be wrong, but I think um, he. Did a, or learnt a bit from Bill Knowles, the the kind of knee expert, yeah. and and a lot of stuff he did was, and he was kind of saying we do loads of stuff on acceleration, but we don't, and, and in terms of returning from injury, we don't do deceleration as well, and like a lot of his drills would have a force uh, deceleration at the end, and like say maintain that good position. So I don't know if that's where he got it from, or um, or just yeah, through experience. Yeah. But yeah, and and also I like I'm sure coaches were like that that you know players are always getting or are comfortable at getting in that position to then react because i always say like rugby is about decision making and if you're not in the right position to make good decisions then you know that's half the battle so um, yeah i really like that Uh, and then going back to the you know the advice for upcoming strength coaches or physios uh, are there any books or resources you recommend obviously you've mentioned your books you can give that a good plug now if you want (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually forgot about that. Uh, so I, I published it, but then all this stuff happened, so I, I didn't announce it yet because um, we, we were going like, to do a course on the back of it, so I didn't bother. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that, that book's for probably for strength coaches. That's injury prevention for team sports. Um, I think it's called How to Implement a World-Class Injury Prevention System Without Expensive Equipment. I think that's what I, what I called it. And in that book, I talk a lot about um, movement. So, again, everything we've talked about today, motor adaptations to pain, um, I cover, like, the big key lifts in the in the gym and how to lift well with, with good foot pressures um, and then how to do movement prep and stuff. So that's probably a decent book um, that all my books that I write, it's it's about helping the therapist or the, the S&C coach to implement it in the real world. So – I don't go too heavy on the theory i have references in it but it's all for me it's more important that the person can take that information and and implement it so even even your listeners who who maybe aren't snc coaches would, would probably get value from that um i've got a book called Beating back pain without pills injections and surgery so that's aimed at a therapist or at a, at a patient with back pain so again if any of your rugby players have back pain um, that's probably a decent book to pick up. And again, that goes through some of the, the kind of the full pressures and, and how to squat and split squat and stuff like that. And then, um, for anyone kind of that wants the the return, physio, um, we call it, that's that, that's my website to go to physio.com. Um, and that kind of runs through my 12 step return to play system that, that I use. So that that's my books. Sorry, I feel like I've just bombarded that question with my own stuff. Um, <laughs> I like, uh, yeah. Uh, shameless uh, um, but I like um, I like Franz Bosch's book um, that's a really good one strength, strength coordination for s and um, again my I see my stuff as like a prerequisite to his stuff um, like and again I think that's why we work well with, with the SNC is A lot of my rehab exercises they're based on his principles but i find his exercises are quite high level um so my exercises are kind of the steps before that to have the athlete an ability to do those exercises well um so so his stuff's influenced me a lot bill knowles um definitely would have influenced me a lot as well with, with the deceleration stuff in the past um there's a guy james radcliffe i think he is is his name uh he's got a book um out Jim Radcliffe, I think it is. Um, he he had a decent book out as well. He's he's kind of the same cohort of like that Vron Gambetta, kind of you know that that those kind of guys. Yeah. I like yeah. all all of that stuff. Uh, a, li- a little bit of opinionated uh, Vron Gambetta, but I think a lot of the stuff that the the is, is decent. Um, I think that they're probably the the best S and C books I've I've come across. I had Triphasic Training. That's that's a, a really good book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've implemented a lot. Of his stuff um in my in my rehab approach as well and, and i know the sse guys at england use use a lot of his stuff uh carol De- Caldes he's yeah. he's a really good guy and he, he probably all his biases kind of fit, fit with mine as well so that, that's probably another good book um that, that i'd recommend
1: cool and then lastly uh dave where uh, where can people learn more about you
0: uh, yeah so my for physio so i mentor a lot of physios um and um, they can find a lot of information on www.thegotophysio.com and if you you know even if you go even if you're your rugby players or anything like that they go to that site if you look at my blogs you'll have to go back a bit but there's quite a quite a few exercises there where i talk about sprinting and the need for a a co-contraction at the knee and the importance of the midfoot when you do bridges and, and stuff like that. And and basically to get off your heel and get onto your midfoot. So there's probably quite a few things there that, that, you know, SNC rugby players and, and physios might find interesting. And then my clinic, if, if um, anyone is around me, it's, it's prosportphysio.com. So P-R-O-S-P-O-R-T-P-H-Y-S-I-O.com. Uh, That's uh, the, the clinical site.
1: Awesome. Of course, we'll share links to, to those websites and, uh, and your books in the show notes. But, Dave, uh, thank you for, um, like I say, spending the time with us to, to chat through um, your experience and some great uh, take home points there for, for our listeners. Um, and just all the best through this, uh, this strange time
0: yeah no thanks Jeremy thanks for having me I appreciate it
1: enjoyed it awesome stuff a great insight into uh, what must have been a roller coaster world cup and of course some really good takeaways about movement screening uh, injury prevention and rehab so thank you Dave all the best in the future thanks for coming on and talking to us in the meantime guys please stay tuned subscribe to us on SoundCloud Stitcher tune in iTunes whatever you use Spotify maybe for podcasts and of course uh, give us a five-star review and keep checking us out uh, on the social media channels Twitter and Instagram Facebook and of course at rugbyrenegade.com until next time
0: thanks for listening to the rugby renegade podcast for more quality
1: rugby strength and conditioning information check us out at rugbyrenegade.com rugby renegade building machines